The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome everybody to our next to the last uh, factor in this long journey that we started last September. This is the day when we really delve into mindfulness. So first I want to say that uh, I'm really happy to welcome Maria Stratman as my co-teacher today, our guest teacher. So the three of them were called elsewhere and Maria is a dear friend for a long time and has been teaching at IMC for many years, so I'm very happy that she's joining today to help talk about mindfulness. Happy to be here. Good. You can say more about yourself if you want when you get started, but I'll just set a little more context on mindfulness. So we've been being mindful all year, right? How could we do any of this? How could we do right speech or right action or right anything without paying attention to, in some way to what we're doing? So um, I'm always tempted to actually start the year with mindfulness instead of have it be toward the end. But the way I've come to look at it is that in a way the year is motivating us to really be willing and ready and interested to look very deeply at what's going on in our minds and our hearts and our bodies. Because, you know, we can have wise intention, we can try to have right speech, we can try to have right action, we can try to bring to mind our, our wisest views of what we're trying to do, and yet something, stuff gets in the way, right? All this complexities of the mind and the body. Really, it's a serious practice to want to sit down and look into what's going on and how, what is, how does our mind and body create this movie of our experience that we're so entranced with and get so carried away with all the time. So this, uh, this factor of mindfulness within the path is really part of the meditation triad, the mental cultivation triad of the path that where we really start to look deeply at what's going on. And last month we've been working with wise effort which is kind of getting the idea that we can do something about our moods and our mind states and really work with them. And then this month we're going to focus on mindfulness itself. And next month we'll look at uh, concentration, which I like to think of as a continuity of mindfulness and a settling and a factor that's very complementary to mindfulness kind of all the way through our meditation practice. So um, we'll have the usual format here. We'll have uh, some short, short talk and a breakout group and another short talk and a breakout group. So um, let's see. I think I would ask you to please mute yourself if you're not muted so that we can minimize uh, the background. Just a second here, something else is going on here. Let me just system. Some people who are just discovering IMC are wanting to join this class and I've been sort of bombarded by emails all day, but I'm not going to go with any more of that right now. Okay, <laughs> sorry for the distraction. I'm a little new to this Zoom thing. Um, 
Okay, I think I'll turn it over to Maria at this point to introduce, I ask her to share her thoughts on what is mindfulness. So, hello everyone. Uh, so I'm Maria Stratman, and I've been hanging around IMC for something over 20 years. And when I say hanging around, I'm really talking about mindfulness and how much it has led me to inhabit my life, to inhabit my life, mindfulness. You know, many of us entered the practice through the door labeled mindfulness, either from mindful, mindfulness-based stress reduction or mindfulness meditation. But mindfulness is actually a lot more than the door. It is the space beyond that door. Mindfulness is something that is more of a process than a technique. It is really how we experience and whether we are aware of that experience. So an important thing about mindfulness is that it isn't just keeping track of everything in your life. Mindfulness has an object and we know that object. We put attention on that object and then we know that we know that object. That extra step is really what mindfulness is. It is saying, not only am I aware that I'm sitting in this chair, I mean, I know I'm sitting in this chair talking to you, I have this screen up here that you know, sort of reflects all of you, but it's the process of actually knowing that that is mindfulness, okay? So very often we kind of live in a, a space where we, we know kind of what's going on so uh, the physical experience of knowing what we go on, we kind of miss. So I'm somebody that used to walk into walls a lot. And the reason I walked into walls a lot was not because I'm unsteady on my feet. It's because I was always ahead of my body and I was turning corners before my body got there. I mean, quite literally, we exist very often in our minds and mindfulness is not about paying attention to the fact that the wall is there, but paying attention to being in my body. This, this is where I am. This moment, this feeling, this experience, this is mindfulness. Mindfulness is this and not that moment. It's this moment. It's this experience. This quality of direct experience is the thing that, that, qualifies mindfulness. It's a, it's a calling to mind. Mindfulness is a, a recalling. The, the Pali word is sati, and everybody kind of translates it and scratches their head. There's a, an idea of recalling and remembering, and it's sort of a pulling yourself back to this moment from wherever the mind and awareness has gone. Mindfulness is pulling yourself back to here in this room, at this time. It is attention to this time. It's attention to the present. Attention to the present. So very often what happens is we'll, we'll experience something and then we'll go, we'll think about it. And we'll tell a story about it. We'll remember something about it. It'll trigger something in, in us and we're off on the story. But mindfulness is being here this moment, it puts the attention there. Not only is the attention there, but we know it's there. 
We're not just sort of playing lip service to it, we're with it. And that's what mindfulness implies, being with this experience, being with it, being in it, right here. Mindfulness conditions us to be aware of the changing nature of things. This is very important. It conditions us to noticing this moment is different than that moment. It's a practice that we develop that inhabits our entire lives. And the practice of bringing ourselves back into this moment is a practice that allows us to inhabit our lives, to actually exist in our lives instead of the idea of, uh, about our minds. The other, another aspect of mindfulness I think is important is the, is the quality of stability and steadfastness. You know, it's all well and good to say, well, when my mind wanders, I'll just bring it back. But what we're trying to develop is the capacity for the mind automatically to switch back, you know, where it becomes home being in this moment. This becomes the place that feels because it is, in fact, more real. And we have a tendency to return to it, return to being here in this moment. And so the, the practice of trying to maintain mindfulness, of remembering to come back to this moment, is the practice that develops the conditions that brings us back, brings us back. Whether it's in meditation, in our daily lives, it's the quality of stability that we develop by conditioning ourselves to be in this moment, to, to experience what we're experiencing instead of experiencing what we're fantasizing. <clears throat> so, one of the things that happens when we're actually in this moment is that we become aware of the ease and the freedom of just being in this moment. Mindfulness has attached to it this kind of uh, realization that I don't have to be anywhere else. I don't have to be responsible for anything else. I'm not actually responsible for this. This just is. This just is. And there is a momentary freeness in realizing this is what is. Seeing clearly that this is what's arising in this moment. This, not that, not that moment. Right here, we can take a breath and there's nothing attached to it. Being aware of being right here is instantaneous. It conditions us to realize that it's always changing, that it's not the same. It's not that moment, it's this moment. And we can be with this moment. When we're mindful, we notice things sometimes that make us uncomfortable. You know, yeah, it's agitated, it's not the way I'd hoped. My intention was to take up meditation and mindfulness so that I would be at peace. And I'm not at peace. I'm anxious. I'm uh, irritated. I'm agitated. I'm restless. This is not how it should be. 
the quality of just showing up for I'm agitated allows us to not feel like we have to fix it, that we have to change it. It is an allowance just being in this moment, being with whatever is arising. And when we can see that and feel that, really experience, oh, I'm agitated. But it's not me. There's just agitation here. And we begin to separate ourselves from I shouldn't be this way or it should be that way by just realizing this is just how it is right here, right now, in this moment, there's agitation. Or it's peaceful. Huh. So the last couple of days, I've been watching a webcam on UC Berkeley campus. And it is uh, trained on a peregrine falcon nest. There's not much to this nest. It's just a ledge with little pebbles on it. And the peregrine yesterday morning had four eggs. Right now it has three chicks. And when you watch the peregrine, now the peregrine is uh, the fastest bird in the sky. It, it can dive 200 miles an hour. This is a fast moving bird. But when it's sitting on that nest, it is totally still. If it weren't for the little feathers stuck in the, the pebbles moving, you would think it was a still photo. I was so impressed with this bird sitting so still. And then it would move because of what was going on underneath its body. There would be something happening. And you would see it move, and then it would return. And it was so much like mindfulness so physical, so this is what's happening, and totally still, that returning constantly to this is how it is, this is how it is, I really found inspiring. This bird could sit so still and so steadily. This is what we do. Mindfulness is a training, and it is a way of being. It's both. It's not a technique. It is a way of noting our experience and knowing the experience. It's a way of seeing things just as they are. It is a route to seeing clearly. Because we're not thinking of the meaning of it, or what it should be, or what it could be, or what it used to be, or what it might be, but just how it is. Just how it is. And it takes dedication and determination and effort. You did effort last month, that showing up and continuing to show up and continuing to show up softening the quality of our effort into just tuning the lute perfectly. Not too hard, not too soft, just this. There's no right or wrong way about mindfulness other than this is how it is. Okay, I think I should maybe stop there. We're going to take a little time now and um, 
we're going to do a, a meditation. And before you start, I would like you to consider what your intention is. As Chris said, mindfulness is really tied up with all the pieces of the path. So what we want to do is set the conditions for mindfulness with our intention. And what is your intention? Have an intention. And then we're going to begin this process. And we're going to begin it by first looking around the room that you're in. We're going to, we're running this class today in a way that is unfamiliar. It's very pleasant to be able to go to IMC and sit with people and be in a room where everybody is breathing together and you can kind of feel people and you've exchanged hellos with people and there's a quality of touch that we don't get from this method. With Zoom, we are changing our experience to one being highly visual, oral, but not touching, not breathing together. So we're going to simulate breathing together by actually breathing at the same time. And we're going to be present for that. But first, you need to figure out where you are in your space. That's the first thing. We have this visual space that we're sharing, but you have the space that you're in, your physical space. Notice what that is and know that you know where you are. You're not just anywhere. You're in the space that you're occupying. <clears throat> So once you've located yourself in your room, know what's in the room with you, then I invite you to close your eyes. We're leaving the visual space of the virtual world and returning to the body. Closing our eyes kind of slows down that stimulation of the outside world and brings us in closer. We're no longer in the external world, we're in this world. See if you can now place yourself in your room by feel, just by feel. This room, this seating place, be aware of the space around you. Place your body in this space. Know that your body is occupying this space. Know that you're in the room. Settle your body. Settle it. Find a comfortable but upright posture. Occupy this space. Know that you're occupying this space. Be attentive. As if you're curious about what's going to happen next, allow that attitude of curiosity, of not knowing, to animate your body. You're waiting for the next moment. This moment, we're in this moment, right here. 
Meet the moment with an alert body. Now, take a couple of deep breaths and let them out slowly. Feel the air moving. Know that you're following the breath. Feel the air moving. With the exit of each breath, feel your body settling, just like that peregrine settling down, settle. Feel the settling into this moment, this one. Allow your breath to just flow freely. Air moving. Just the body in process. Take a moment to contemplate your intention, to be kind, to be present, to be peaceful. Now let go of needing that. Just allow this moment to be as it is. No judgment. Focus on your body. Is it tight? Is it loose? Is there tension in your face? Maybe move your jaw to make sure it's loose. Hmm. Relax. Check your shoulders. Can they sink? Let them just sink down. Feel the sinking. And breathe.
Notice the energy of your body. Where is the energy of your body? Is it agitated? Is it smooth? Does it seem like a high frequency buzz? Or a low moan? Is this energy the size of your body? Is it small and central? Is it large and expansive, bigger than your body? Just energy. What does that feel like? What is your experience of energy? Don't worry if you don't feel energy. Flat. Just breathe. Where is your awareness? Is it in your body? What do you notice? If the mind wanders away, just let it come back. Recall this moment.
Now, just for the moment, with this breath, place your attention on the center of your chest, right where you imagine the heart center is. Just place your attention here, that place that most represents your heart. What do you feel? What is your sense? Is it an energy? An itch? Is it tight? Expansive? Warm? When you place your attention right there, what are you aware of? What is your experience of placing your attention here? Is it irritating? Is it soft? Does it feel warm? Is there agitation? Uncertainty, ease. Just breathe. Try to name your experience without going to a concept, just the raw experience. of your attention on the center of your chest. Expand your awareness to feel your whole body. Take away that sharp, narrow attention and just Feel your whole body sitting in this space. Is this easier or more uncertain? What is your experience of the shift of attention?
Now place your attention on whatever object is most easy to focus on. Your breath, wherever you like to follow it. Sound. Settle in and rest with no direction. Just breathe. If you notice the mind wandering off into story or judgment, bring yourself back from the story. This is the very moment when you're most present. In this moment, be here in the room. With your next breath, remind yourself, here I am. I am here. Here. 
Notice the energy in your body. Where is your attention? When thoughts arise, let them arise and pass away. You don't need them.
When you hear my voice, notice what you notice. Notice what you feel, what the sensation is. Does it flow in and out? Does it feel jerky? Expand your awareness out to encompass your whole body. Return the body to the space around it. Be aware of your body in space. What do you sense? What is the raw experience of your body in space? Before we end this meditation, be mindful yet again of the energy space in and around your body. Note the quality of your energy. Know it. Know that you know it. When I ring the bell, don't open your eyes, don't move, just hear. As you come out of the meditation, don't open your eyes. Recognize you are letting go of this practice and you will be putting back the aspects of your external life. Note the taking on of your external life as you slowly pull yourself out of this space you have occupied to a broader space. Do this slowly. Open your eyes when you're ready. Note the intention to move. Note what moves first. Note the returning of the visual world, the shifting of your attention. Know that you know this. Note how energy changes as you shift. Thank you.
Now, we're going to be moving from this to the next activity. And as we do that, don't let go of knowing what's happening. Don't let go of knowing your experience. Be present for your experience. It's happening anyway. Be there. Be here in this moment. Chris? Okay, thank you, Maria. So we're going to transition now to small groups. And I just want to say there are some people who may be joining us for the first time. So I just want to repeat a little bit about the idea of this. I will let Zoom arrange us arbitrarily into groups of four or so. And then Maria will describe a question that we'd like each of you to reflect on and speak to for a few minutes. So the idea in these groups is it's not at all about cross-talking and agreeing or disagreeing or fixing or anything like that. It's really a chance for you to retain some of the flavor of this beautiful meditation and stay mindful within yourself Recollect what you might like to say and be mindful of the experience of sharing what you might like to say. And when it's other people's turn to talk, you're just doing a deep listening practice, listening to what they have to say, noticing how it affects you, noticing how it, how it seems to be sitting for them, and just letting it be as it is and giving them the respectful opportunity to speak. Okay, so we can't really um, time within these groups exactly. So you'll have to, we'll have about uh, a little, about 20 minutes. So maybe about five minutes a piece. So you can, you can roughly keep track of that. And I'll send out a note when we're halfway through so you can sync out, sync up to that degree. Okay. So I'm going to arrange these groups now while Maria explains the question. Okay. So what we're going to do is examine what it is like for you when you're mindful, when you really know you're being mindful. What is it like for you? And the second part of the question is, what helps it arise more often? because mindfulness is something that doesn't just happen. We have to put energy and discipline into it. And it is something that develops constantly over the course of our lives, over the course of the meditation. So the two parts of the question are, what is it like for you when you're mindful? And what helps it arise more often? When, is, when do you have that feeling of it springing back to you here. Okay? How are we doing, Chris? 
no longer. Ready to go. Okay, so it will ask you if you want to join the room and just say yes, and then you'll be with a small group of four people. Okay? Okay. You can, when you get in the room, unmute yourself. You can all stay unmuted in your rooms. Do you want to ask for some feedback, Maria? Sort of your section still. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if you designated anybody who, to speak for your group, or, but I think what would be useful is if you just sort of indicate that you have something that you'd like to share with the group or something that particularly surprised you, then just kind of we could, we could use the reactions button with, if you're familiar with Zoom where you raise your hand or you can wave it at us and we'll free you to speak. Okay, come on. <laughs> we weren't there, you know. It's great to just hear something that, how was that? What came up? Uh, what's in your mind? Okay, we've got a raised hand, Liam. Yeah, okay. so one of the things that came up is that um, sometimes it takes um, courage to be mindful when you're in a, um, really tough place, um, either, you know, experiencing a lot of loneliness or feeling pain or you just, you know, in the hard times, it takes courage to be mindful and to stick with it and to really kind of be with it when it's, when it's painful. It, it does. Do you, what helps when it's like that? What helps to you to stick with something when you feel it's painful? Um, for me, um, uh, breathing through it and, um, just trying to be, trying to maintain kind of awareness that, you know, it will pass whatever it is. And sometimes to recall, you know, happier times that, you know, where I was feeling good and knowing that, you know, that can be a, a, another state that I might get to. Now that that noticing that that things change, you know, the, the more mindful you are, the more likely you are to to have that come to mind when times are tough. That this is not permanent; it just feels permanent. <laughs> the the sense of what's going on becomes more manageable. Anybody else? Fran might have had her hand raised. I don't know. Fran, did you want to speak? Oh, uh, no, I was in Liam's group, and I think he did a oh. really good job, but I'm not sure if I have my, do I have my hand raised? No, I just thought oh. you waved. Never mind. Almost. Oh. <laughs> I think Liam spoke well for what we were thinking and talking. Yeah. Does anybody else hear Bert? Yeah. Hi, it's Barry. Um, so... Um, I wanted to ask, make a comment and question. One of the things that helps me to be more mindful is to be well rested um, because the hindrance of torpor dullness is not there or not there as much. And my question is, 
is that that um, hindrance um, a mind state or is it not a mind state? The hindrance of torpor? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there are lots of different words for it, but uh, sleepiness, sluggishness, um, yeah, that one. Mm -hmm. I think Chris is going to talk about that some this afternoon, but um, one thing to keep in mind is that if it arises, it arises, right? So sometimes we can notice that we're tired and we're just plain tired. And we need to just take that into account. Sometimes we're tired because we're avoiding what we're feeling. And then we can notice that. doesn't make it wrong, right or wrong. We just notice, okay, I'm avoiding. Got it. <laughs> it so, so that the, the real secret of mindfulness is not to have a judgment about it, but to, to see it and recognize it and name it. As to see it clearly. It, it kind of takes away some of the onus of it having to be a certain way. Does that help? Yeah, I've noticed that when I, when I observe this, this state or whatever it is um, more closely, it helps sort of bring me out of it because I'm watching it change. Good. Anybody else have any ideas about what what is it like for you when you're mindful? What's it like? like? Daphne. Daphne. Oops. It's Nancy. Can you hear me? We'll come back to, to Daphne. Okay, yes, Nancy. Um, for me, it's uh, everything slows way down. The All of the, the life just uh, slows way down. And um, everything sort of becomes more acute. Uh, and... Um, a lot of uh, things that I've been experiencing during the day uh, just bubble up. And um, so I just let them. So, so this quality of things slowing down, talk about that. What, what, is your, what is the experience that you name slowing down? I think it's because I, I'm a... Um, I'm in my head a lot, which you probably know about me, but um, I, you know, I have a lot of things going on all the time, uh, multitasking and whatever. But so when I go to sit on the cushion, it's just like everything um, calms down. The thought process you know, isn't racing anymore, not trying to figure anything out, not trying to plan anything. Um, all of that just, you know, gets, uh, goes away. <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, it, 
I, I don't know how else to describe it. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Daphne, did you have something you wanted to say? You're unmuted. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I actually got to feel um, that I didn't want to be mindful, that I want, there's an uncomfortableness uh -huh. um, that I wanted to pop out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's great to notice that. that <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that TMI moment. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I didn't realize how. I didn't realize how close to the surface it was because it was like I. I, I didn't think that it was. I. I know that it's there. That I don't. You know, there's this uncomfortable feeling, but to be able to get to it and wanting to go. Oh wow! You know, there's a hot surface. I want to get a, to move away from it. So yeah. <laughs> so that was really neat to see <laughs> right it's a, it's a real place of being able to work that, mm -hmm. that edge there you can you can step up to it you can step up to that edge and sometimes you can stay there and sometimes you need to step back from it and then you can say what else is happening here what else is here because that what else is here kind of steps you away from i'm afraid of this or uh, you know, it, it gives a different quality that uh, what's making it uncomfortable so that it becomes a place of learning and not so much a place of having to be a certain way. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay. That's really a great place. Thank, thank you. So somebody talked about courage. That's, that's a piece of that that needs to come in here. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Here we have uh, Antonio. Is that Antonio? Did I get that right? I see Abraham had something. Yeah. But... Yes, this is Antonio. Okay, good. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I the the comment that came to me when I, when we were in the groups was that mindfulness often times or it very often brings this. Uh, a very physical experience of peacefulness of uh, and and if we are uh, a little bit here uh, we try to explain it we maybe we can explain it physiologically like there are some endorphins going on there etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's but the mindfulness i think goes beyond that right like uh, that's something that we are triggering through the mindfulness and we love it, and we tend to, to, to keep in that state, and that's what we want. But when we don't get it, then I, I was telling my group that, that I get mad, and then I start to, but then I start feeling bad about, like, I'm not being mindful enough or something, right? Uh, but the, the, uh, then, uh, as my meditation has prog made some progress, I, I become mindful of my of my being mind uh, of my wanting mindfulness to be some way to be the way i want it to be so yeah. I, I i would like to hear your comment on that yeah. 
Yeah, this, this is a trap. So I'll tell you one of the, I once set a month long retreat, which I fondly recall as my uh, aversion retreat. I hated every minute for a month. I sat and walked and sat and walked. I was very mindful <laughs> and it was not comfortable. I didn't like anything until I got to the end and realized how much experience, how much I had learned about the mind habits I had dealing with things I didn't like, that I had judgments about that I didn't want. Mindfulness is about seeing clearly. The goal that many people set for meditation is that I will be peaceful. But mindfulness does not have a goal. Mindfulness is a process of just seeing clearly. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But it's a, it's a, a, a something that is a blessing in my life for sure. Uh, so I think Abraham had a question. Let's see. Don't know how to find you. There. He's muted. Yeah. Okay. He must have left. <laughs> no, he's here. He's here. We he's just here. Okay. There you are. Go ahead, Abraham. Thanks. Uh, sorry about that. I was hoping other people in my group would bring this up because it was such a rich um, topic is not just how mindfulness is while we meditate, but mindfulness, how we are socially in our loved ones, with our family, in our day-to-day -day lives, and how uh, it freed us up from habitual responses. Or even if you are sitting down to meditate and it's all chaos around you, um, if you can non-judgmentally, I guess, just be with that chaos, uh, it brings you quicker to uh, uh, the enriching mindful state that 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 we're going for. Kind of. I think that's kind of what we said. <laughs> I just really like the focus on our environment. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. I would say uh, it has been one of the, the real blessings of mindfulness for me is when I am aware of, um, for example, I'm aware of the energy of my body before my mind tells me I'm angry. And I can feel that energy. And that clue allows me to not be as reactive. I'll say, okay, there's a lot of energy here. The conversation I'm having with this person, I can choose what to do with this energy. I don't have to yell. So that kind of uh, awareness does make you less reactive. It, does, it gives you the possibility of being less reactive and more intentional. Thank you. It's a very important part of it. Chris, maybe I can turn this over to you for the next. Okay. Well, um, the next event is a short break. But before we do that, I would like to remind everybody that back in the pre-COVID days, we thought it would be a good idea to have a day-long retreat on the subject of mindfulness. And so we're still going to have it. And it's next Saturday. And it will be on Zoom. And uh, we want to open it up to just the theme that we were talking about, of mindfulness both on the cushion and in daily life. So we're going to hold this day very openly, 
and there'll be some guided, some teaching and some guide periods of sitting together with some guidance. And then there'll be some periods where if you want to keep sitting and walking in a formal way, you can, but if you want to go, if you need to go out and, you know, take care of your kids or make lunch for your family or go outside, whatever you want to do, there'll be time to do that and seeing how much mindfulness you can sustain into those activities. And then we'll have a chance to have some small group practice discussions with some of our Eightfold Path mentors. So that's what we have planned for next Saturday. And I'm just curious if I could get, if you would hold up your hand and leave it up long enough for me to just get a feel, who might be intending to come to that? What time is it? It's a day long, so it's nine to four, or yeah, nine to four. And of course, you're welcome to any part of it, but okay. All right, good. Thank you. I just, we want to have enough mentors standing by so that we can have mentor-led practice discussions. So, so I hope to see some of you there, but I think it'll be a, a good day. So let's take a break. Let's come back about 2.35. Okay. All right, so I'll see you all back here at 2.35. Especially so the day long is um, the 25th. What? The day long date? Yeah. Yeah, next Saturday, April 25th. Okay, great. Thanks. Nine, it's 9 a.m. Originally we said 9.30, but we shifted it a little earlier. So 9. That's uh, Pacific. Everybody has to drive, you know, so might as well start at 9. <laughs> Well, I really love Maria's talk uh, about the, the attitude of mindfulness and the approach of mindfulness and the, the just really being with whatever is happening. And that is the fundamental approach of mindfulness. But in this part, I want to uh, highlight uh, another aspect of it, which is putting it back in the frame of the Eightfold Path, which is the fourth noble truth, which is the way to the end of suffering. So there are teachings, some of the Buddha's key teachings on mindfulness are, is actually a list of four aspects of our experience that it's very conducive to progress toward freedom and letting go to be able to tune into and pay attention to. I know for myself, um, without this understanding of these, what's called the four foundations of mindfulness, it's very easy to spend a lot of meditation time kind of drifting in thought and kind of half knowing what I'm thinking about or being a little sleepy and not really the knowledge of these four foundations has helped me to focus, to understand what's useful to pay attention to. You know, there are a lot of mindfulness books these days, mindfulness of, you know, wine tasting and military training <laughs> and all kinds of things that mindfulness helps anything you want to do. You know, you become more you become more skilled at it. But what we're trying to do is really understand how the mind and the processes of the mind and the body create suffering and how we can see into that and understand it. So 
with this attitude that Maria so beautifully described in as the way to pay attention to things, it's also useful to look at what are these four foundations and try to understand why this particular list? Why does, why does the Buddha offer this list? I'm just curious, how many of you might have been taking Gill's Deepening Meditation Program this year? Did anybody in this group take that? Not maybe one or two hands. Okay, so a few. Yeah, there are two main uh, teachings around mindfulness, and one of them is the sutta that he went through in that program, which is a very progressive uh, uh, medita- set of meditation instructions. And I'm just going to talk about the four of these more as they're presented in the Foundations of Mindfulness Sutta. So the four of them are um, mindfulness of the body, which includes the breath, mindfulness of feeling tones, which we'll talk about, mindfulness of mind, mind states, and mindfulness of what's called dhammas. So... This breakdown into these four areas is really a way of helping us when we're caught up in thought. And a lot of you mentioned, say, difficulties and facing difficulties. Being able to look at our experience through these lenses is a way of disentangling, deconstructing the times that we're really caught up in our suffering or we're really caught up in thinking. Someone, Jan, did you have something? Yes, would you mind repeating the four, repeating them? Oh yeah, I'll repeat them several times here. Body, feeling tones, mind states, and dhammas. I'm going to talk about each one a little bit. So, um, and what's interesting in the refrain after the Buddha introduces each one of these things is he talks about being mindful of the body as a body and being mindful of feeling tones as feeling tones, mind states as mind states. And what that's pointing to is this disentangling, disidentifying, more objective ability to view what's going on as, oh, this is a thing that's happening so that your awareness is progressively less tangled up in it. It's sort of like we're wearing, you know, about a thousand pairs of glasses and we're looking through those at the world and we think, oh, this is the way things are. And becoming mindful of these things one at a time is like taking off your glasses and saying, oh, I see that's a lens that I'm seeing the world through. And so becoming, when, when we're aware of something as a phenomenon, then it's a, it has something of the feeling of a disentangling slightly stepping back, but not pushing away from or dissociating from at all, but just like, oh, I see what that is. I see very clearly what that is. So the first foundation is mindfulness of the body. And uh, this is, the, the Buddha says, there's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It is mindfulness centered on the body. So that's a pretty strong recommendation. 
And what I think what it's pointing to is the fundamental mechanism of suffering that we're working with in this practice is our tendency to live in our thoughts and in our concepts and ideas about things, in our fears for the future, our memories for the past, our ideas about what needs to happen, what should happen, who am I, what, what do people think of me, all that stuff. The body is not involved in all that stuff. <laughs> the body is in a very fundamental way, always present. The body is doing its thing. It's breathing, digesting, circulating. All that is going on. In this, it's, it's ironic that this thing that is, you know, that we are is also fairly impersonal and just going about its business and doing its thing. And so the, the specific instructions that the Buddha offers around mindfulness of the body are encouraging us to see it more objectively. Um, so, for example, in the science of his day, and it's still it's kind of true, looking at the body as the felt sense of the body as being one of the five elements, like wind, air, fire, water, space, I've forgotten something, earth, what that you could translate that into solid liquid gas energy right it's not all that all that out of date so if you feel into what's going on in your body if you can sense it as oh this is like the hardness or the softness of some kind of material matter this is the sense of flowing like a water matter this is air moving or the vibration sense of something that's uh gaseous and vibrating or heat or coolness so the more we tune into those elements of the body it gives it for one thing it connects us to all of reality it becomes viscerally clear to us that we are made of the same stuff that everything else is made of and it helps to soften and break down that border that we tend to think between ourselves and the rest of the world so it's both uh it's enlivening and it's more objectifying and it's more connecting at the same time to tune into that level of the body. And actually in the sutta that describes these four foundations, there's quite a lot of emphasis on wisdom on what we might look at as right view from our path perspective of what is a body. A body is made up of all these parts. It's just, and the Buddha has a long list of 30 parts of the body, you know, all the organs that we're familiar with, all the kinds of liquid, all the stuff that makes up our body. It's kind of a medical point of view, you know, it's like a short course in medical school to really look at our bodies this way. And it, it lends itself to that kind of, that kind of wholesome objectivity that we expect from a medical professional. You know, they can look at the body and see what needs to be done with it without getting all upset about whether it's pretty or not pretty and whether it's, you know, sexually attractive and all the things that we overlay over the simple functionality of this body. So it's, it's useful to understand that that perspective can be taken. And while we're, while we're just being with what is, this is a lens, it is a way of looking at what is. You know, so if we just take the instruction to be with what is, we could spend the rest of our life being with, gee, I hate this, and that's what is, and it's bad, and it's uncomfortable, and that's what is. <laughs> but using these instructions to look, using these different wisdom lenses, we can say, well, what exactly? 
what exactly is it that's unpleasant right now, that's bad, what I'm calling painful? What is that? And that leads into the second foundation, which is the foundation of feeling tones. Now, they came up with this translation at some point. And what it's referring to is that very, very primitive, common to even amoebas, that level of processing experience and categorizing as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. You know, so if you put something unpleasant in the vicinity of some tiny little organism, it will shrink back. Or if you put something it eats in front of it, it will go toward it. Or if you have none of those things, it will shift its attention somewhere else, right? So it's the very root of all of this reactivity that we are working with through our practice. So um, it's also very hard to see by itself. I know for a long, long time, I would usually find it interesting to kind of work back, you know? So if I'm in, in experiencing something as not good, I don't like this, I hate this, it's painful. It's very interesting to look at where exactly, what exactly is it that is kind of, what's the essence of the unpleasantness here? Where is it? You know, and it might be a, a, a kind of a, I don't know, the breath just doesn't go as high or as low as you would like it to, or something is a little too hot. You know, I, I have gotten so lost in all kinds of outrage fantasies when I'm just a little too hot. You know, and I just didn't really realize that, oh, you know, or my my jeans are too tight or something. And what is the actual unpleasantness that's going on right now? And it's it was a real insight for me the first time I was able to say to myself, oh, this is just unpleasant. And that cut away a lot of the layers of trying to fix it, trying to get away from it. It's like, oh, it's that. It's that little bit of pressure, and I can bear that. That's where the unpleasant is. So I found it so useful to say, oh, it's just unpleasant, or it's just pleasant. You know, I could want some ice cream until I weigh 500 pounds. But, you know, if I can catch, oh, it's just, it's a, it's a, Somewhere in there is some little moment of seeing something in your mind that hit the pleasant button. <laughs> and everything else follows from that. And oftentimes when we're really lost and restless and don't know what we're doing in meditation and our mind keeps jumping from one thing to another, we just don't like, it might be just kind of neutral, you know, or we can fall asleep because there's nothing much going on. And if you have that understanding that you can, Tune in anywhere, you know, your knee at this moment or something more neutral than that, maybe your third toe, you know, what is the sensation in your third toe right now? It's probably neither pleasant nor unpleasant, but if you hang with it, you can feel something, you know, and then you're kind of experiencing that quality that's not either one, that just isn't, we're such extreme experience junkies, a lot of us, that we don't, we find it hard to stay with things that are neither. So this is a very, although we, we often talk about getting beneath the conceptual and so forth, nevertheless, this is a really useful concept to have in your mind when you find yourself caught up in reactivity. You can at least categorize it as, am I reacting to something that's unpleasant or am I reacting to something? Am I caught up in something that's pleasant or am I just can't settle on anything because maybe it's neutral or my spacing out because it's neutral. 
actually that kind of restless jumping around tends to be more rooted in the unpleasant and the pleasant kind of dancing around from one to another all the time. But, you know, sleep, falling asleep might be more related to neutral. So see what you can, or escaping into fantasy, you know, because stirring up something exciting to pay attention to is better than just, you know, just sitting here. But if you understand that there's that feeling tone and that that is one of the four most important aspects of things you can pay attention to that lead to freedom, then maybe you can get interested in tuning into what is that feeling tone at the moment. And what's interesting to me, especially it comes out in this other sutta that Gil has been basing his course on this year, and unlike some of his contemporaries, the Buddha was not like against the pleasant or, uh, you know, or the unpleasant. It's really about noticing it and discerning whether what it's stirring up and where it's going. So it's also another important part of the feeling tone is to begin to appreciate what's called the unworldly feeling tones that come with meditation. So, Unworldly is a fancy word, but it means not just sense pleasures, something that's internal and born of meditation itself. So it can be very pleasant to be present and pay attention. Staying with the breath for a while, it can begin to bring up a feeling of joy or a feeling of calm, and those are pleasant. So one of the Buddha's big discoveries compared to some of his contemporary um, views was that there's no harm in that kind of pleasant that kind of pleasant can actually be cultivated. And in fact, what we begin to get a taste for is that letting go is pleasant, that releasing our clinging and our grasping at things is pleasant. And so in that way, once you get a flavor for that kind of pleasant, it's kind of a guide to deeper letting go and deeper relaxing. You know, and you begin to, you begin to notice when you're grasping at something, it adds an unpleasantness to it. So I was just looking, I have these two spectacular orchids in my room that are fantastically in flower right now. And I was looking at them and then suddenly it's like, yeah, I, you know, that it shifted from that first hit of how beautiful they are into wanting to make something of it, wanting to hang on to it. Oh, they're going to fade or just wanting more out of it than it has to offer. And so that, you know, it's beautiful, but yeah. <laughs> and then after that, it's grasping and noticing that shift into the unpleasant. So the more you can get interested in this little fundamental move of the mind to grasp at the pleasant and push away the unpleasant and ignore and space out the neutral, you're really getting deeper, a deeper level of understanding of what, what is the cause of suffering. And then the third foundation is mind states. Now, we don't have to necessarily take these in order. Some people are, are body people, and it's easy for to tune into the body. Some people, I, I used to find it actually more necessary to first try to identify my mind state, like resistance and unhappiness and, and you know, I don't know boredom, things like that, that it would help me to notice. And then I could slowly kind of tune in my body after that. So you'll have to play with it. But both, but for many people, the beginning to have a mindful relationship to your mind state is a, is a, a fairly advanced ability. 
because those are the glasses that we're really looking through. You know, I am unhappy. I can't do this. I am not wanting to do this. And we're just buying the messages that those mind states are sending us. And then we're very primed to jump up and, you know, quit meditating or to react to the next thing somebody says. If we don't learn that skill of identifying what is our mind state and seeing it as, as some of you were saying, it's a passing phenomenon. It's something that's come together and it's coloring how we see everything in this moment. But it is possible to disentangle from the viewpoint that that mind state is imposing on us and see it as a pair of glasses that we have on right now. You may not be able to take the glasses off, but you can know that the whole room looks gray or rosy or something because you're wearing those glasses right now. And that's what it looks like. So the Buddha talks about mind, the mind colored by anger, the mind colored by greed, the mind colored by, I forget what. Um, yeah, lust, for example. You know, a mind colored by lust keeps going after all the things that it wants to go after. And it, it influences what you click on next on the internet. It influences what you read. It influences what thoughts you let run wild in your mind. All that has to do with the basic mind state that's then influencing your experience for the next long time, however long it takes you to finally, for that to finally ease up. So learning to recognize the mind state. And then also included in this mind state um, foundation are the beautiful mind states that begin to arise when we meditate. Mind states of concentration, mind states of expansiveness or narrowly focused on something, whether the mind is glad and relaxed and inspired or whether the mind is kind of dull and and not really engaged with what it's doing. So this foundation becomes really, really fascinating. Um, and it's, it's a way that we just keep getting more and more subtly attuned to what's clouding the clarity of our ability to simply receive, as Maria so beautifully guided us through, to simply receive what's going on. Most of us you know, it's, it's, it's a little easier to do when somebody's guiding, you know, but maybe when we're on our own meditating, it's awfully easy to let all of our stuff get in the way of that simple receiving of what's going on. So the great trick in mindfulness is recognizing that mind states, feeling tones are part of what's going on, and they can be taken as objects in meditation, meaning, oh, I'm aware of that, I see it. This, I know that I know that that's what's going on right now. And that gives us that space around it. And then you can get interested in watching how it changes and watching how it's doing the tricks that it's doing. What, what influence is this mind state having on you? You know, if, you're, if your mind is colored by anger, you're going to, everything looks terrible. People you might normally love, you're suddenly fault finding with and snapping at and so forth and things that, you know, things you don't really need to even worry about. You're, what, what trail are you following on the news? You're looking up more and more things that reinforce your anger. So just looking at how these mind states begin to take over and hijack and control your experience is so rich in daily life and in meditation. So all along, we're moving along this scale of 
getting more um, disentangled and more objectively interested in our experience and able to view it from the point of view of the Four Noble Truths. Is this leading toward suffering if I just let this do what it wants? Or is it leading toward greater ease and freedom if I see it for what it is and, and have some room for right intention to arise around what to do with it? So then the fourth foundation is called Dhammas, and it's translated in various ways. What it is, is a bunch of lists of the more advanced ways of seeing things in the Dharma. So one of you asked earlier about the hindrance of restlessness, for example. So this list, it lists the five hindrances. It lists the seven factors of awakening. The Eightfold Path is in there again in a kind of looping way. The Four Noble Truths are in there again. And some of these very, um, very impersonal, clear ways of seeing things like the Six Sense Basis, which includes the mind, the five senses and the mind. So I think what this, my understanding of this fourth foundation is that it comes to play when you are really able to see things in this very clear, not personal, not involved sort of way. And you're really well on the path toward disentangling all this and toward, toward great states of freedom. So if you can see a hindrance, like the hindrances being like desire, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness, and intellectual doubt, if you can see that as just something that's arising, you know, it's not that different than an in-breath or a passing sound. It's just something that's arising. Then you are free from it. You don't have to stop it from arising. You just are so free from its messaging that you don't get on that train. And half an hour later, you've eaten a quart of ice cream and you were supposed to be meditating. So, you know, you can, seeing a hindrance is a good first step toward being able to be in that fourth foundation where then you can see things very clearly unfolding moment by moment. Like you're watching the mind, like it's, you know, watching it do its thing, watching thoughts come and go, watching emotions come. I don't know, maybe there's not so much emotions at that point, but feelings coming and going, little blips of reactivity coming and going. And then gradually the mind settles into a more concentrated state and you sort of get on the train of the seven factors of awakening, the stages of concentration and the seven factors of awakening. So at that point, you're really paying attention to, you know, how, how joy, how like sometimes the kind of bodily sense of joy is calming down and settling into a sort of sweetness and how that sweetness is kind of, even that is kind of chilling out and settling into a very cool kind of equanimity. And so the mind states that you're paying attention to at that point are these advanced, what you might call dhammas. They're aspects of the Buddha's teachings that it's possible to experience once you get pretty free from worldly concerns and you've managed even temporarily to let go of that. And you're sort of on this process that unfolds. It has a certain um, um, lawfulness to it, that it unfolds in a certain way and begins to lead you into a deeper and calmer and more clear state. 
So it's not, the fourth foundation isn't something you can exactly decide today I'm going to practice the fourth foundation. It's a bit of a fruit of working with the other three very skillfully. And it, it, it comes to be a perspective that is a more, a very mature kind of practice perspective on experience. So um, I think it's really useful to understand these four foundations. And it's, it's also extremely useful to bear in mind everything Maria said and not to try to sit down and force yourself today I'm going to practice with these foundations or make them happen or do one or the other. But just to know in your mind that you probably are because if we're not caught up in thought, these are the things that are happening. You know, your body is doing its thing. Feeling tones, you can't stop. Every experience is just classified as one of these feeling tones at a level far beneath what we can control. And mind states are happening. So they are happening. And it's just useful to have that framework in mind so that you can sort of tune into experience in that way to help you disentangle, to help you get interested in the actual mechanisms of experience and not you know, maybe a little less interested in what you're going to say tomorrow or who said what yesterday. And you can kind of let those stories go and be interested in what is it to be a human being that has these processes going on. So that's how I find knowing about these four foundations helpful. And let's see. Well, we're a little behind, but that's okay. So shall we have another breakout session? Amaris has a question. Yeah, quickly give a, a little more example about example of mind states, what they are. Yeah. Um, you, well, you, just in a very simple way, you know what being in a bad mood is like, right? That's a mind state. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like when you, when you, uh, I don't know, when you're engaged in lust somehow, some images come along that, that you're excited about and you're on that train, right? So, or you're angry at something and, and you've been angry about it for days and you're still angry about it. That's a mind state. But how is it different than a feeling tone? That's what's confusing me. Yeah, well, a feeling tone is that little blip that got the whole mind state train rolling. You know, so somebody, like, I don't know why I'm going with this one, but it happens so quickly. Some, some image flashed by that happens to push your lust button. You know, that image went by like that. And the feeling tone there was something pleasant in the sense of, oh, I could get that, you know, if I just got that somehow, that pleasantness. Or maybe it's ice cream that flashes by, you know, an advertisement highly depends on this. Some almost subliminal picture of ice cream goes by. And then that's the feeling tone. And it's very hard to catch it in action. But when you get very concentrated and very still and very settled, sometimes it's possible. It's like slowing down the frames of a movie, you know, and you see the ice cream image and you see whatever it is that just says kind of yes to that, you know. And then everything follows from that of... Uh, what you're of, you know, the, all the actions, all the obsessing on it, all the going to the store to get some and all that follows from that little brief moment of reacting to that as pleasant. So craving would be a mind state. 
craving yeah craving is a is a is a mind state right right that's based on some feeling tone that came up right that went by so fast you didn't you mostly notice the after effects of these feeling tones thank they, you they toss you onto one of these trains <laughs> but it is possible to kind of it's interesting to kind of reel back to what was it exactly you know that that i you know that trip tripped that feeling tone liam has a question yeah um so just a, a little point of clarification is the mind state um kind of what um, was referred to in the um, reading assignment as kind of the overall mood of the mind versus the dhammas which is more i mean how, how do you kind of tease those two apart well those two kind of bleed together i mean i don't know I wouldn't get too hung up on, on some of these things because the more advanced mind states, you know, where they talk about a mind that's concentrated, I mean, that's also listed under the dhammas. So I, I feel like in the mind states, the more you let go of the ones that are obviously rooted in grasping and clinging, and the more you get into the ones that are more about, um, you know, peace and ease and concentration and so forth, the more you're sort of into that fourth foundation, if you're recognizing them as such. So kind but of on the other hand, you can just get very hung up on bliss and you can get attached and, you know, then you're, you're, you're not really in the fourth foundation if you're kind of not aware that, and the fourth foundation, I think of it as a relationship to experience that's just very pure and very, very wisdom dominant. So is it is it fair to say the five hindrances are kind of more an aspect of a constricted mind and the seven factors are more of the yeah. expansive and open mind? Yeah, but you can also see it's all in the relationship to it. You can see the five hindrances so clearly that they're really not hindrances anymore. They're just little blips that are coming up that you're not getting involved with. So, So, so like you said, if I was completely obsessed with I don't know, equanimity, equanimity um, or concentration completely wrapped around that axle, then I'm actually maybe constricted. Yeah, right. Okay, right. thank you. You're Got probably it. thinking about it. It's hard to get too excited about equanimity without some thought going on that maybe isn't being recognized. <laughs> so, thank anyway. you. Right. And, you know, this is kind of my view, you know, that there's, there's some wonderful, you know, Analio, Bhikkhu Analio has this wonderful book on Satipatthana, that's, if you really want to get into this, I recommend that one. And can I ask a quick question about the hindrances? Um, so I think my mind was to go, but why? Why is it so hard to be mindful? And so is this a lot of it comes from karmic conditioning and that's driving a lot of these hindrances as they pop up? Yeah. Our, our conditioning is entirely based on, you know, a lot of short-term rewards. You know, I don't know where science is at with this. I, in my own little pseudoscience mind, I think of it as like, oh, you know, too much dopamine or something, but I have no idea what it is. But whatever it is that makes addictive behavior so hard to undo is working to some degree in all of us all the time. You know, we're, we're hooked on our past memories of what was pleasant and what was scary, and we're overly obsessed with that overlay and not letting in enough data about how painful it is. You know, so half of our bodies have become numb because we're tamping down. Like, say, say, I mean, I, food is one of my one of my 
primary issues. So I can eat because the pleasure in the mouth is completely overriding the fact that the body's actually uncomfortable and does not want any more food. And so the more I have mindfulness of the body, the more I tune in to how I'm really forcing something to happen that's actually on the whole unpleasant. If I had more, if it wasn't so numb from having been kind of, you know, I don't know, abused all these years, it wouldn't be, it would, it would be more clear what was what, you know. So we, we're just opening up a much wider range of what we can pay attention to so that we can really see on the whole what is more skillful and what isn't here. And it's hard. It's not easy. These are very, very strong habits and they act fast. That's why meditation is necessary because someone was talking about slowing down. Meditation slows down the movie so that you can see and feel what's going on so that you, your higher mind has a chance to get in against these primitive impulses that otherwise run the show. Chris, can I have a, a I don't know if it's a question, or, but I just realized that on um, what helps arise uh, my mindfulness, it's um, being aware of one of my aversions, one of my hindrances, which is aversion, and it manifests itself as judgment. And I just mm-hmm. realize on feeling tones that um, it comes with deep sadness. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, yeah, what triggers that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sadness is a good thing to hang out with and, and notice what it is in the body to be sad. You know, I, I don't know, sad, there's a lot of stuff held in, in our, in our bodies and in our minds that things we're afraid to let just come up. And I, I, you know, sadness has a, I don't know, it's kind of a, it's something to do with letting some things just be, letting some things arise that need to be seen and felt, you know, and there's some energy that needs to move a certain way. So it's interesting to hang out with sadness. It's it's sad that we spent so much of our lives tuned tuned out and tuned into some of these difficult emotions. There's something in us knows that that's that hasn't been so great, you know. And it it really wants to, but it doesn't have to be sad forever. It can it can you know it can move through. The more we let it be, let it be felt. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I wanted to have one more breakout. Let's see if we can do that before we uh, come back together. So we'll just have this be pretty short. Maybe I'll make groups of three so we can get around. So the question for the breakout was, how do you experience mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the mind working together to give you some insight into your suffering? Okay, so why both the body and the mind? How do they influence each other? Something you've learned or seen about how the mind and body together work to create suffering or and how mindfulness begins to reveal that. Is that clear enough? Yeah. Can, okay. you, can you repeat it one more time, sorry? You want to set the yeah, mindfulness. How do you experience mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the mind working together? 
you could think of it as why don't we just teach one and not the other? Why do we teach both? Why are both important? How do they how do they work together in this process of new experience? I can right. refer you back to what I was talking about earlier and, and feeling the energy of my in my body at the same time that I was trying to not be reactive in anger. That's an example of looking at both things. But there are many kinds of experiences like that. How you can, what is your experience in mindfulness of what the mind is doing and mindfulness of the body and how they may be related to one another? and how they affect suffering or your understanding of suffering. Well, so we had some of our discussion time before we broke out, but I'd still love, we've got just a few minutes left. And as people come back, I guess we'll wait another minute for people to appear. Here comes everybody. Here we are. Okay, pretty much this is the group. So if you would like to share something, maybe just unmute yourself and hopefully there aren't too many collisions. Somebody like to share what came up in that? Yeah, it's, I'll go. Um, we, we each gave examples um, um, and one example um, that two people had was how physical pain can affect your mind state or your mental attitude. Um, my example was just using the breath as an anchor. Uh, the breath is a physical phenomena, but the knowing of the breath is a mental phenomena. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then I, I often think a lot of thoughts about my breath, which is not, is more mental, you know, it's more at work, so yeah, I'll be quiet. Oh, great, thank you, Barry. <laughs> That's very relevant, yes. Who else? I'll go next, I'm Ram. Mm -hmm. um, so so uh, I'm also taking the Satipatthana course uh, with Bikonalio. Uh, what you said, Chris, resonated very well in that regard in the sense if I, if I break down the body into fundamentally, say, flesh, bones, and skin, and what it triggers a thought in me is certain forms have certain visceral reactions to me, <laughs> maybe with respect to some people or whatever it may be, right? Either love or hate or dislike or whatever it is. But if you generally try to break it down into, look, they're essentially the same thing as any other human, my thought process changes to see uh, how that reaction can be better controlled, not put anything called like, dislike, or a beautiful, not beautiful, or attractive, not attractive. The subjectivity seems to be diminishing uh, by analyzing the body at the bit more uh, component level, or break it down into smaller chunk and mm -hmm. feed into my mind in a, in a much more bite-sized chunk. And when I do that, then there are a lot more similarities than differences, <laughs> and they tend to be less important. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? Just speak up. I, uh, I thought that um, it was 
difficult not to have the feeling tones in that question as well. It, it seemed as though um, both the body and the, the just all seem to influence each other and give clues to each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think the feeling tones are right in there in the, in the, in the what is it about the mind and the body. It's the pleasantness or unpleasantness that kind of gets the whole thing going one way or the other. Yeah, so it, do, it does go in there. It's definitely right in the middle of it. Thank you. Anybody else? Um, I'll, I'll say something. Um, right, right as the room was closing, we, we kind of started talking a little bit about how much strength um, or how much effect the mind really has on the body um, or the body on the mind. And we didn't really finish that conversation in our group. And I thought maybe you could, could give a little bit more, you know, clear insight, you know, than I can on that. But for me, um, they are both so interconnected. And um, one thing I didn't say in the room was simply, um, you know, I, I could stare at my finger and my finger feels nothing. But the longer I stare and concentrate on that finger, it can start to tingle and go numb. Um, my mind is very, very powerful on my body and, and vice versa. Things we feel in our body creates thoughts, you know, and, and reactions from our mind. So I, I don't know if you have a little bit of maybe more clarity. Yeah, I mean, sure, this, this is all true. I mean, they're so intimately connected, you know, the mind... The mind is, awareness is all the way through the body. Awareness is the whole, you know, I don't know what awareness is, but it can penetrate all the parts of the body. And, you know, it's definitely, you know, they're highly, highly interrelated. Um, yeah. You know, the Buddha says that something, the mind, something going on in the mind can influence the body. Something going on in the body can influence the mind. You know, one of you were talking about some little, you know, having a pebble in your shoe can ruin your day. And, you know, or being upset about something, you know, it's the beliefs that you have about it that make release all those stress chemicals and make your stomach, you know, turn away. So they're highly, highly interrelated. Right. You know, there's, there's the other, the flip side of that too. If you've ever been met by a paramedics, the first thing they do when they walk in the room is say, take a deep breath and let it out. Now that's something as meditators we know about, but they do it because it tends to relax people and take the tension, the immediate tension out of the room. So that sometimes things that we do with our bodies also affect what happens with our minds. That's the whole, that's one of the, the main features of meditations. So it, it goes both directions. Yeah. I, I had a quote that I didn't have time to read from a wonderful guy named Will Johnson has written a book about several great books, one about breathing with the whole body. But he talks about how in order, the monologuing mind requires some tension in the body. You know, you have to hold some, it like requires a certain grip on the body in order to push the energy up into the head to drive all that monologuing. And in effect, it's a kind of holding our breath, you know, like waiting for the mind to figure all this out. 
usually when you come back from a long internal monologue, you might realize you really haven't been breathing very fully. You know, so that's, Gil has this analogy I just love of thoughts being like the toothpaste coming out of the toothpaste tube, you know, and something in the body, tensions in the body are what's squeezing the tube, but it's really emotion. I mean, it's all around. It's a great cycle, you know, mental beliefs about things are causing the muscles to tense up that cause the thoughts to keep squirting out. And so it's just, it's quite a, quite a thing to begin to unravel this in your own experience somehow. Yes. Well, maybe uh, we're over time. And uh, I really appreciate you all offering this time today to come together and study this really important topic, fundamental topic in Buddhist Buddhism and the Eightfold Path in particular. So uh, I hope to see some of you next Saturday. We'll spend more time on this. We'll have some more teachings and some more opportunities to work with all of these things. I think this topic kind of, there seems to be a kind of sometimes a little flagging of interest at this point in the path. And this topic is so important that I want us to give it what it needs. So we'll spend a whole day on it next weekend. Hope hey, to see I just, oh, one question. Yes. Um, I'm so excited about doing the retreat next Saturday. Will we get a more detailed um, email prior? Well, you will get a more detailed email with a different link. And um, hopefully we'll send out the schedule ahead of time so that you know what's going on. Exactly. Thanks yeah. a ton. Okay.